Welcome to Candid Crypto Season 2. Today, we have our first guest, Jason Barraza. We're going to be talking about security tokens, the security token market, and really dig deep into this new class of cryptocurrency and understand uh, what the security token market is. And Jason couldn't be a better person to have as our first guest. He has a background in startups. He also has a financial background with Bank of America and Merrill Lynch. And for the past year and a half, he's been working at Security Token Market, also known as STM. And he's currently the head of growth and operations. Thank you, Jason, for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. You guys are doing great stuff out here. This should be a very Jason. fun conversation. You as well. Yeah. Thanks, so, Jason. so Jason, tell us about Security Token Market. What is it? Uh, the company or the market itself? <laughs> Let's start with the company and then dig into the market itself. Okay, perfect, perfect. Yeah, so Security Token Market is essentially this company uh, that just turned three years old a few months ago. And what we focus on are two things, data and media. Uh, we've noticed that the industry in security tokens is obviously somewhat nascent. And so we're trying to get grow mass adoption through one media, which is the educational part. You know, We have the Security Token Show, which is our flagship product, if you will, on the media side that kind of covers the industry news as to what is going on security tokens, what security token offerings there are, um, and a little bit of the metaverse if you're interested in that section too. Uh, so a lot of the variety that covers in the uh, security token show, but we also have other shows. We have Spilling the NFT, which is fully woman produced. We have Critical Nature, which is all Spanish. Open Tab, which my friend John interviews local Miami entrepreneurs. And there's written also written media uh, where we have data reports that are based off of data, which I'll touch on in a second. And we have other uh, reports kind of kind of like journalist style where we kind of talk about, you know, again, what's going on in the space and whatnot, but more written format. Now, on the data side of the business, we track well, as soon as you sign on to stomarket.com. All lies out essentially basically like a, a leaderboard style uh, dashboard, if you will. And so what you'll see is all the pricing for all these security tokens that are trading worldwide in the secondary markets. And we have that data through API integration with all these exchanges worldwide. And so we're the one-stop shop where you can really just see all of them instead of having to sign into 15 different exchanges and whatnot. So we have all of them. You can see the trading data. If you wanted to invest in one, you could potentially have a link to maybe say the white paper or a pitch deck or something, or see who the management team is. And if you wanted to invest in it, it redirects you over to the appropriate exchange or ATS. Um, and from that data, we sell some of it, right? We sell some of like the access to the data or we sell data reports that we make with our analysts that kind of talk about what is going on in the market, interpreting that data for potential, you know, opportunities. Or the biggest of which is the real estate report. And the second is, or which probably should be the biggest one and probably will be soon, is the arbitrage report. We've seen that maybe you can, um, you know, the, and people love the arbitrage report, right? Because obviously who doesn't want some free money, right? So risk-free money. Yeah. So that's pretty much what STM does in a nutshell. A little bit of data, a little bit of media, and overall goal is to cover what the security token market has to do. It's super interesting. And your, your content is extremely high quality. And I love how you go into different, you know, areas with your podcast, Crypto Con Leche, completely Spanish. And then also <laughs> the one uh, where one of your coworkers is behind the bar, just talking to different entrepreneurs in the space. Open tab, yeah. I think it's it a, a lot really of fun. Cool <laughs> it's a lot of fun to watch, and we'll definitely uh, link all your content in the show notes, so oh, you know our listeners it. can access it. Thanks, so you, you talked about that. STM. 
-hmm. Can you talk about security tokens in general? We've yep. never really covered this topic on the show and security token offerings and security tokens are very new to a lot of our listeners. So please educate absolutely. us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Security tokens. I mean, they're a little hard to come by just because they're, you know, unlike crypto, they're growing at a slower rate um, as far as adoption is concerned. And that's, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. Um, but essentially what security token is, is essentially a, a digital wrapper over a real world asset, right? A digital representation of a real world asset, like you know, such an investment. So for example, if you were to invest in a company, great, you have your analog shares, if you were to tokenize it, now it runs on the blockchain. It still represents that same ownership in the company, but because it runs on the blockchain, you can fractionalize it. So now you can, you know, have uh, you can raise money a little easier from the crowd. Um, and, and and I think something that's very important to touch on is the democratization of the capital markets. You know, traditionally with you know pre-IPO shares, where private companies are raising money, traditionally you're going to do it from ultra high net worth individuals, or you're going to do it through a broker dealer. Either way, it's, you're you're going to limit the amount of people you can reach. Whereas if you have you know a startup or a business that simply you know wants to raise money for X or Y reason and have a huge following or or have a great marketing strategy and they want it to raise from the masses, kind of like Kickstarter model, if you will, like a crowdfund. Now you can do yeah. it with a smaller ticket rather than you know, minimum investment of $25,000, now it could be $100, a lot more affordable for the average Joe to be able to, you know, pitch in and, and invest in the earlier uh, rounds and then before it goes public and then explodes, right? And so security tokens essentially are that. They're, they're kind of like a marriage of crypto and traditional finance where you can have the benefits of crypto but still to be doing it compliantly through the SEC regulations and exemptions put in place uh, that have been in there for decades. So a little bit of both. So what are the most common uh, security tokens? What do they represent? Um, I would say I think they represent equity uh, just because it's the easiest to be able to uh, to structure, if you will, and the easiest for people to understand. You know, people are raising money uh, to start up their venture or or they simply already have a venture where they already have investors and they simply want to fractionalize those shares typically it would be equity but we've seen all of it we've seen some debt structures we've seen revenue share i think there's one out there where you can complicate it right because um, as you guys know the blockchain is able to use smart contracts to be able to programmatically you know distribute yeah. dividends and whatnot so what happens is you can get very very creative with the smart contract because it, it'll automatically execute anything you tell it to. So there's a company out there that has a security token where I believe the conditions are, you know, you don't get dividends unless you have 40% profits of that year. Otherwise, otherwise it doesn't execute. And the profits come from like net operations or something like that. So it gets complicated and goes into the financials, right? And I'm like, okay, cool. Like you can really get it so that it's both attractive for the issuer and for the investor. So that's something we've seen uh, growing in this space as well. Very interesting. And issuing a security token is different than creating an NFT or a cryptocurrency. It, there's more regulation and compliance to it. Absolutely. Yeah, our sister company, Security Token Advisors, which I also work at, um, <laughs> kind of helps through that. We're a consulting uh, company, essentially, over at STA. And essentially, we walk you through the whole process. Essentially, what you're going to end up doing is first figuring out the structure of the token. What's that smart contract going to be? Uh, doing be based on what the financial instrument is, right? Or what the financial model is of this, of this offering, right? And so once you have that ready, okay, now you have to go to your lawyers and be like, okay, 
maybe I need uh, to set up a subscription agreement or an operating agreement, right? Or a private placement mem memorandum. So we help you connect you with the right lawyers. Then we move on to the issuance platform. Great, now we can have the legal papers done so that we're still SEC compliant using certain regulations, such as uh, the most famous one in regulation crowdfunding, as I just mentioned, where you get to raise from the crowd. Now you move on to the issuance platform, build it out, host it, get it done. Okay, great. You raised your money. Now we have to get you onto secondary. You know, you're not going to list on the NASDAQ because you're not a public company. So we have alternative trading systems or ATSs, such as the T-Zeros or the securitizers of the world, uh, to name a couple examples. Um, and so from there, we kind of help you also find liquidity strategies, you know, right? You know, I, I love to preach about security tokens. It's freaking amazing and it really is great. But at the same time, you know, there's always that question, like how, what is the liquidity here? What's it look like? And I'm like, okay, well, we kind of help you figure out, okay, obviously these, these are not going to be trading as liquid as Apple stock is, but we're going to be able to help you either do automatic maker, uh, market makers or issuer-based market making, right, through a treasury program or whatnot. So we kind of help figure that out as well. But yeah, to answer your question, it's not as easy, I would say, as a cryptocurrency or an NFT to, to make because there's a lot more regulation involved. But I think it's still worthwhile doing every single one of those steps because the benefits are, are fantastic and, and tokenizing any business or any asset for that matter. So Jason, my mind naturally drifts to the technical aspects of uh, security tokens. I'm a, I work as a developer as my day job and I'm familiar with blockchain and smart contract development. What is the go-to blockchain for uh, security tokens? Are there multiple blockchains that these operate on? How does that work? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously it has to be smart contract compatible. Um, I'm not a full expert on the blockchains themselves. So, you know, we kind of had our head of research, uh, Peter over at SA to kind of dives in a little more on that end. But what I do know is that some of the go-to ones would probably be Ethereum, as we know, is probably one of the most adopted. Um, Avalanche does a great job mm -hmm. at that as well. And so those are probably two that I know off the top of my head that we would probably tokenize on. Um, Ravencoin is starting to, you know, dive into tokenization as well. They have a huge follower community. <laughs> Look out for them. Um, and yeah, yeah, those are some of the more prominent ones that I've, I've heard of. Do, doing research, Liam, I think one of the largest security tokens, they transferred most of their liquidity from Ethereum to Polygon. Um, and that's uh, a, a Negra. Yeah, Negra. Negra. Yeah, they did do that. Yeah, and we actually, they're actually number one on our leaderboard right now. Yeah, that's what I noticed. And they have a huge market cap. It seems like majority of the security token market cap is with Anegra. Yeah, yeah. As soon as they uh, enlisted on stmarket.com, the total market cap skyrocketed, right? You know, we started the year with $1 billion in market cap, which, you know, was a great milestone that we hit late last year. And then now we're at, what, 19, 20 billion? So it's crazy. It's, it's amazing. Just like, wow, like great growth over a span of months. And it's just a, it kind of tests, you know, granted, like in the grand scheme of things, when you look at the total market cap of the world or you know, the stock market, granted, okay, a billion, 20 billion, so it's still relatively small, but relative to the security token market, it's like, okay, good growth. We're seeing adoption coming through. And and what we like to say too on, on that note is actually that the assets and the value are already there. Like you don't have to raise money and create a new company. Like all you have to do to make that market cap grow, it's taking an asset that already exists, such as a house, a uh, commercial building or whatever, put it on the digital rails, as we like to call it, or tokenize it, 
all of a sudden now it's tokenized. It represents the same equity that the shares would have of that same asset. And therefore the market cap of security tokens does go up. So the value is already there. You don't have to create it. All you have to do is transfer it over to blockchain. Interesting. Yeah, and, and, and speaking and, of kind of tokenized stocks, why would, yeah. I mean, what's really the main benefit of tokenizing a stock where you can just already go to Robinhood or, you know, any broker and buy the stock? Yeah, I think one of the biggest ones is um, simply the fact 24-7 trading. You know, the fact that okay. you can trade 24-7 anytime, you know, you're not limited by the market hours, right? So you could be at 8 p.m. and like, oh my gosh, like something happened. You don't have to wait until the next day or Friday at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. Something happens in the news about XY company. Great. You can't do anything about it until Monday, <laughs> right? And by then what happens is like you have all these other things going on and whatnot, you have movement, whereas you can act on it with 24-7 if it was a tokenized stock. And that's kind of what we're seeing with, you know, uh, the ones down at the bottom half of our screen uh, of stlmarket.com. You have tokenized Netflix, you have tokenized Tesla, Coinbase, Apple, a lot of these very well-known names. So, so um, yeah. tell me, when it comes to tokenized stocks, are you guys competing with a service like FTX? Or are you really acting as an aggregate to really like uh, bring together all the data from separate marketplaces into one into a one-stop shop? I would say it's the latter. Um, you know, we're not necessarily competing with FTX. You know, where we like to talk to them and whatnot, and they're they're great people, and they're obviously they're a little more crypto focused rather than security tokens. But yeah, I mean, we're essentially just a leaderboard and a, a one stop shop where you can just see everything that's going on in the market. And we have the data. We like to say we're the most whole set of what's going on because we're the ones linked up to all these exchanges, right? Where, where else are you gonna find it? Like CoinMarketCap is fantastic and they're a great data source, but they don't have all the security token data going on, right? And so that's kind of like our niche, our thing, and this is what we understand. And so we kind of just preach it and, uh, and make sense out of all that data too. Now, granted for plans moving forward, um, well, I can't disclose too much, but you will see hopefully within the next few months what comes out of STM. But right now you're not an exchange, you're just an aggregator correct. of the data. Correct, correct. And you can see, you know, all the exchanges on the website spanning from T0 to Crypto SX. And then mm -hmm. looks like a lot of the tokenized stocks are from like FTX and Binance. Correct, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Interesting. Yeah, so, so if you wanted to invest in any of these, you just hit the button and it redirects you to whoever exchange or ETS you need to, to invest with. Y'all make right it through. easy. Love it. Yeah. So when it comes to launching a STO, what's the process like? And why might somebody choose an STO over uh, traditional fundraising mechanisms? Sure. Yeah. Um, let's start with the process and then I, I guess uh, we can dive into why someone wants to do this. So the process. Uh, touched on it a little bit earlier, but essentially first mm -hmm. is structuring, you know, how do you want this token to look like? What's the structure going to be? What's it going to offer? What are the terms going to be? And then you go to legal and make sure you cross off the boxes and, you know, make sure you sign the right forms. Um, and so I'll go through four different regulation and exemptions that we kind of follow to make sure it's compliant, um, especially when you're dealing with the private markets. The first of which is regulation CF, as we talked about earlier, crowdfunding. You can essentially, all it says is that you can raise money from anyone in the U.S. or international. They don't have to be accredited, 
which for those uh, for those listening um, and don't know, accredited simply means either have a net worth of a million dollars, excluding your primary residence, or you have a two hundred thousand dollar income per year for minimum two years, right? And so, essentially, the wealthy. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so for the retail uh, to be able to raise from retail, you have Regulation CF, which essentially says, okay, go ahead and raise money, um, but there are limits. You have to file a Form C. You have to review your financials. And recently they changed actually the limit from 1.07 million to $5 million. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that you can raise because there was a lot of concerns that a million for a startup, it's like, great, it's a lot of money, but after costs and whatnot, may not go as far. And so you really need a lot of, a little more help to be able to get, really propel your startup. And so that's why 5 million was brought up. And Herwig, actually one of the CEOs, was actually directly cited by the SEC as to why they chose to raise that limit from 1.07 to 5 million. So that's something we like to brag about a little bit, if you will. <laughs> but yeah, so that's Reg CF. You're limited to 5 million a year. Uh, next one is Regulation 8, which is the other end of the spectrum on the private market side, which is essentially what we call a mini IPO. It has a lot of documentation going. It's probably the most complicated of processes. and so complicated that we call it and like I just said, the mini IPO, right? You might as well just IPO. <laughs> now, and it has like a seventy-five million dollar, uh, a lot higher, obviously, of a, of a limit. Now, in the middle, you have the easier ones. You have Regulation D, which all you have to do is file a Form D and a couple other things, and you can now raise from accredited investors, um, right? And and then you have Regulation S, which means you just file it. And remember, the SEC doesn't really care too much about who you raise from. That's international. You, they care about protecting the American investor, right? And so when you follow regulations S, great. Now you can raise from any international uh, person and you can raise, you know, unlimited amount and whatnot. So it's a lot more flexible. So those are the four that we kind of go through with legal. We choose which one or which combination you want to do. Uh, if In case you want to do, maybe you can do a reg D and a reg S paired up. You do reg D to raise from accredited U.S. investors and a reg S part to raise from international investors. And now you can like get a little funky with it and, you know, see, you know, what possibilities are are gonna fit whatever your goals are as an issuer, right? So uh, yeah, continuing on with the process, yeah, we figure out legal, great. We go to the smart contract builders, if you will, de developers, make sure that they can do it. Uh, go to an issu issuance platform. If you're doing a crowdfund, you have to go specifically to a crowdfunding portal to be able to accept payment. Um, then we go to marketing, make sure you have everything in the audience needed, which is something that STM helps with. If you want to market your security token offering, we have the most eyeballs of security token aficionados, as we like to call them, <laughs> that want to invest in security tokens. So we have advertising on our website. We have advertising on our shows. Uh, we talk about it. We do a press release through our medium uh, or our blog and whatnot. So there's a lot of different things that we offer there for our STA clients once they're ready and for external clients that are, want to work with us. To be able to get pump out those STOs. So hopefully it goes well. Fantastic. We raise the money. You close your round. Great. Next step. Now you need to um, be able to, you know, exchange these tokens, right? And so we go with exchanges or ATSs based on jurisdiction, based on where your investors are, all these things. You can do multiple ATSs if you wanted to do a list. And then finally, liquidity strategies, which I mentioned before, uh, which is really just to be able to make sure that people can trade these tokens. Uh, and whatnot. So that's the process. And thing that your other question was, uh, remind why me, why would he, why would they tokenize? Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of different things. I think one of the biggest ones is early liquidity. You know, a lot of these uh, companies or a lot of these you know, people that are raising money, say for real estate, for example, 
it's like okay they maybe they pull their money in and they uh go in on say uh, uh a club that or maybe a restaurant or a chain or whatever the case is right it's all private money so for them to liquidate their position is a little hard right they're gonna have to find a buyer that's willing to put in a million dollars or whatever the case is fill out a bunch of forms it's complicated you know, get your financials straight and whatnot if you were to tokenize you do that from the very beginning right and so now that it's on the digital rails you can fractionalize it now you don't have to liquidate a huge portion if you don't want to you can select hey i just want to do maybe 25 percent of my position in say this strip mall and i want to liquidate it now someone i'll just put in the exchange someone else can buy it and i just need this cash to maybe move on and make another investment great so that's something that fractionalization and tokenization helps do um, the other one would probably be to raise money in the first place. So if you, again, like I mentioned before, if you have a huge following or you're good at marketing and you get, think you have, you have something going on, why not be able to make that crowd part of your company? Let them and let your users be investors in your company. That creates brand loyalty. It, pre, it creates, gives them a reason to come back, right? Because now they're part owners and what's going on here um, and whatnot. And, and so yeah, it creates that less friction between like, you know, consumer and company, it's more like investor and uh, issuer, right? And it's a little more close-knit, if you will. So that's another one. And it, it all varies of, business to business. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, it kind of seems like it's an enhanced NFT. I know a lot of people over the past yeah. year or two, artists, um, are using NFTs to raise money for certain projects. But, I mean, it's kind of the Wild West when it comes to NFTs where... Yeah. STOs and security tokens, there's just, you know, they're compliant with security laws and like money laundering. So mm -hmm. I feel like as an investor, I would have, I would feel a little bit more secure about where I'm putting my money. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it I, seems I, like you can I, do more with real estate as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, we, we like to say that NFTs or security tokens are adult NFTs, if you will. And so... <laughs> Uh, because that's what they are. It's just a little more granular. It's a little more uh, obviously fungible. Um, and you can do a lot more preservation with it. With NFTs, I think I like it a lot too. It's a great concept. Um, but it goes beyond the JPEGs. I think the JPEGs were the million dollar JPEGs were a great way for people to get hyped about them and hop on and start learning about you know what is a blockchain and what is the technology behind an NFT. I think in five years with NFTs, the true use for that is because it represents ownership in a one of one thing where it's non-fungible maybe the use case there is to maybe nft a house right if you were to nft your house mm -hmm. think about how you would sell your house once you're ready to move and whatnot now you don't have to go through all these like financials and like look at all these paperwork and and the uh rating on your house and all this inspections it's all on chain so now when i find a different buyer i just sell them the nft which comes with the deed with the house all of a sudden, they're the, they're, the, they're the new owner. Great. Wham, bam, thank you, man. We're good to go. And it's a lot cheaper <laughs> and a lot less of a headache. So I think that's the future of NFTs. You can NFT anything that's really a unique asset, right? You can NFT insurance, your insurance policy, you know, right? The, just the, the fact that your name is different than my name right there is a differentiator, making it very unique of an asset. Um, and so um, NFTs are here to stay, I think, but it's going to take some time to change them um, as, or change the adoption of them. Whereas with security tokens, we kind of try to focus on the very beginning. It's like, here's what it's meant for. You know, here's so, like, here's the, yeah, go ahead. In kind of the, in the same line of thinking, um, what do you think is the future really for security tokens? Because clearly you and your colleagues are very bullish on the space and 
see that it's going to increase significantly? What do you really think is going to be the quote unquote killer app in the in the ecosystem? The killer app, like, like application, like or um, let me rephrase. As in, yeah, what what is really going to be the uh, what is really going to send this to the next level? Like, what do you what kind of trends do you <laughs> see emerging? Yeah, what, what's going to send security tokens to the moon, essentially? Yes. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think a couple, I think it's two things that we're waiting on, or at least are going to be like the straw that broke camel's back, essentially. One is going to be adoption from the incumbents, such as banks. And the other one is going to be um, adoption and regulation being a little more clear, right? Because so I'll start with the regulation. With the regulation, um, you know, we see that even though security tokens are following securities laws, which is great. We love that. We love compliance. Um, there are certain areas where like compl compliance is not clear. For example, when you're talking about a custodian or a broker dealer, who's allowed to carry these digital assets for the issuer, uh, because, you know, those are needed through, uh, you know, through compliance and, and regulation, who qualifies, who is a qualified broker dealer? You know, that definition is very clear for traditional markets, but when it comes to digital assets, that deal with the blockchain, that's where it starts getting a little unclear in the SEC. So the SEC is being nice about it and they have declared, you know, maybe like a, a little leniency for some broker dealers that, you know, have to fit a very specific, you know, set of rules. And that's nice. They're like, okay, go ahead. Just make sure you follow these rules. And that's a great start. But I think once the clarity is full on ready and the regulation is fully passed and everyone knows exactly who you're allowed to work with and what you're allowed to do and not, that's a part that's really going to move over and shift all these companies to start tokenizing their assets because I think they see the value. They just don't, maybe they're just scared of adoption because of this regulatory uh, scrutiny and fear. And I think crypto in general has a bad stigma when it comes to it, as we saw with the ICO era back in 2017. Oh yeah. And so, you know, that's, but that's the reason why security tokens became a thing, right? Because of the ICO era, because now we realize, no, we have to do this compliantly. Uh, but not the next step they're is kind of in okay, the great. middle of ICOs and IPOs. Yeah, yeah, essentially, yeah. Closer to the IPO section, I will say, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, um, so yeah, so I think that's one of them to answer your question. And the second would be incumbents. You know, now that banks are starting to explore blockchain, um, we see Bank of America with Paxos. I know JP Morgan has their own private blockchain that they're working on, um, as Jamie Dimon kind of alluded to in one of his shareholder letters. So the fact that they're exploring it, obviously, no surprise, that none of them want to, you know, fall back um but i think that there's still a little bit left right because you know you can raise from the crowd and it's great and you can raise from private investors and it's great but sometimes you know banks are really what kind of drive economy right and so when you are able to get a bank on rails as well or get a lens from them or whatnot great now that makes that makes adoption a little easier to digest right and so because they're playing with it i think we're headed in a very good direction um, but I think that they're all kind of looking at each other like, okay, who's going to move first? Who's going to make the first move? But as soon as one or two banks make it, I think, and it really fully like adopts it, I think everyone's just going to pile on and be like, okay, cool. Now we're all good to go. Right. So I think they're all a little scared to do it, but I think those are the two things, regulation, clarity, and incumbent adoption that are going to make security tokens now be fully accepted. And I, if I had to put a timeline on it, I would honestly say anywhere from the next five to 10 years. Hopefully, yeah. close to the five. Hopefully, uh, but we are seeing that. They, but we are seeing even just in the last few years that security tokens are gro growing in a very fast pace, right? And so, I have a good feeling that will be closer to the next five.
Yeah, I mean, even four months ago, being under a billion dollars, and now it's closer to twenty. That's that yeah. seems like there's some adoption happening. Exactly, and it's worldwide. It's not just us. There's other jurisdictions, uh, other than the U.S. that are adopting it. Some of them are nicer. Something. Some of them are not as nice on the regulations. So. A lot of it, it really becomes interesting as to who you can work with, who you cannot work with. It's like, oh my gosh, I have access to this. Oh, I don't have access to that, you know, investment and whatnot. So it's like, why? And so we start looking at those regulations and it kind of helps so that some governments can like kind of look at stool, what other governments are doing and maybe use that as a proof of concept. So time will tell. Certainly. Yeah. And that resonates with me because, um, you know, what crypto has done that's been very tangible for me is I was able to take out loans against my cryptocurrency at a much more competitive rate than, you know, I would get as uh, someone who had just, you know, uh, com come out of college and, you know, had a 25% APY credit card. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it feels like what, uh, what the crypto space is doing in general for, um, the average person is allowing them to access financial instruments that they were shut out of in, uh, you know, the centralized finance ecosystem. And so I really like the notion of democratizing and bringing, you know, these very bite-sized sort of investment vehicles or, uh, you know, uh, the ability to really uh, put your money where your mouth is in say a small scale. Like it's very cool that that is opening up and becoming more and more mainstream and acceptable with our regulators. So I like that. Yeah. So when it comes to say the average person who's going on to uh, STM, what kind of resources or tools do you provide for people who are interested in investing in these things? Absolutely. So I think the first of all is really the education around what these even are. Right. And so that's kind of what we dive into some of the, the written media that we produce uh, on our blog and, and we cover anywhere from like the basics as to, you know, what is blockchain, what is a token to real world examples like, hey, today we're covering this token and here's what it is and why it matters and whatnot. And then from there, they're able to see on STM, like, you know, from the blog, move over and read that blog on the security, uh, security token. Now you can move over to the uh, the dashboard, if you will, and look at its trading data. Check it out. Maybe you have access to their uh, part of the tools are having access to their white paper, like what's going on with that company. And if you so choose to invest, and you can, you know, we direct link you right to the appropriate site. So that's one of them. The other one is like the other media channels, such as like the the YouTube, where we provide more education on there. That's more visual for those that like to see video. I personally absorb a little more visually than I do reading. Uh, this is my preferred method. Um, so we have that through the different shows and it's still entertaining and it's a good time um, and whatnot. And then there will be a lot more tools that roll out in the next few months that I can't talk about right now, but uh, a few more tools that will definitely be helpful in, in educating one and two, being able to do more stuff with the data. Super cool. Liam, I don't know how you feel, but I really appreciate Jason taking us all the way down the rabbit hole when it comes to STM and STOs and security tokens in general. I know I would love to hear more, and I know our listeners would probably like to hear more about Jason's kind of personal background and how he got into crypto. Should we kind of move towards that direction? Absolutely. Jason, why did you get involved in crypto in the first place? What, 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 was, your, uh, what was your inception here? Absolutely. <laughs> so the very, very beginning of crypto uh, was back in 2017. It was my freshman year of college. I was having lunch with this guy um, and he was like, hey, look, dude, look at this. Look at Bitcoin. It's growing so fast. Like, you should probably hop on. 
like dude like what is this you know like I, I back in the day i was like oh my god what's crypto like i'm too busy to pay attention to this whatever so i was like screw it it's just so he shuts the shuts up i'm just gonna like throw in 20 bucks see what happens or whatever i don't know how much it was but like it was a very small amount and and around that time bitcoin was trading at like nineteen thousand. he's like look next week it's gonna go even higher i'm like sure i'll liquidate then i'll take my gain see what's up <laughs> and then it didn't go back up it went down <laughs> and so i sat on my bitcoin and at three thousand dollars and i'm like oh how fantastic you know and you know, i mean it's a good thing i didn't put my freaking life savings on it but uh yeah that's kind of what happened there so that was my first experience with crypto i was like okay well it tanked um but i just held it you know I'm like all right cool see what's see what's up see what happens and then at that time i was that's kind of around the time when i met kyle and we started talking about his company and what he was doing with security token market back when he was starting it. And I was like, okay, I understand blockchain. I don't know about crypto, but uh, we'll dabble. Fast forward a few. Um, I kept up with it a little bit, kind of read and listened to the podcast, the security token show. Back then it was voice only, no video, no nothing. But I was like, all right, cool. And then, um, yeah, yeah, no, I know. I eventually just started like reconnecting with Kyle. And I was like, okay, how can I help? How can I reconnect? And I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I knew nothing about security. I knew a little bit about blockchain, but not really. And so I was like, okay, cool. So I started just helping with the social media posts. And I started helping a little bit about the, um, like, segmenting some, like, stuff where some videos are clipping video interviews for some clients. Very, very small stuff. Um, but through that, I started listening to these interviews. And I started listening to these clips of the security token show that I would post for social media purposes. And through that, I was like, okay, now I'm picking up as to, like, who the industry players are, who the names are, you know, what uh, what the benefits are. All this stuff that they would talk about. I'm like, perfect. Now I'm re listening through it. To it, I'm kind of forced to through work, um, but it's you just kind of fall through a rabbit hole, and all of a sudden he gave me a um, a book called Digital Finance by Baxter Hines. Read through that, and it's a nice in a nutshell what security tokens are. So, yeah, that's kind of my journey as to how I got into crypto and and security tokens by uh, by proxy. You've had quite the come up. You're now the head of growth and operations. <laughs> that's a pretty impressive title. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, now we're, we're trying our best out here. We're all, and it's a, it's a very aggressive team, as we like to say, you know, we like to work together. We we're always grinding. We're, we help each other. We're very supportive. I think it's one of those cultures where like, yeah, we all have our titles, but at the same time, we all wear different hats. We help each other whatever's yeah. needed. We're, you know, we are a young company, but thankfully we are growing fast. You know, last year we started with four people and now we're at 25. So I'm like, all right, great. Like it's coming up. It's coming You're doing up, your so. job. Good job. <laughs> now we got to grow people onto the on, onto the website a little more. Yeah, but uh, it's, it's it's all been going well, thankfully. Yeah. Well, I can definitely relate. I um I myself work at a software startup, and you definitely have to wear all the hats. There's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of cross team and just knowledge bases that you have to cover all your bases when you're working with a when you're working at a startup or a small company. So. How did your um, how did your kind of traditional finance experience at EOA translate over to what you do now? Yeah, absolutely. I think working at Bank of America, I mean, the first six months that I was there, so um, which is pretty much the whole time I was there, aside from my internship previous to that, was really just getting my Series Seven and my SIE, my Series sixty six licenses for wealth management. Other than that, we weren't really doing much. 
but through getting those licenses, I learned a lot about the traditional financial markets and and really just the industry and how it's shaped, right? Like what is a custodian? What's a transfer agent? What's needed under securities law for all these different things? And at the same time, I was kind of helping out still a little bit at SDM and not, and then at, at the time I started kind of dabbling in the advisory side. So that kind of helped me really jumpstart my education and jumpstart my ability to now help clients and be like, okay, well, at least I know the regulation part. So like now I can help you get with the right people. And I can, now that I know how it's structured, I can now just tie in the right people, the right companies and, and name drops to, you know, per section or category of the process. So that's kind of how B of A helped um, majority, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, during the internship, it was remote back in COVID time. So uh, I really, all I was really doing is sourcing on LinkedIn, different potential clients for my higher ups. And I was like, okay, here's a list of like leads if you will, but it, it also did help me, you know, learn how do I scope out a proper lead or a proper, you know, uh, a goal right now, a goal client, if you will. So uh, it helped with that too. And I, you know, now I can scope out some leads for both the ESGA and SCM side uh, uh, on, on LinkedIn and whatnot. So it's always good. And professionalism is always great, right? Obviously etiquette, yeah, being able to care of yourself and whatnot, and, and really understanding the difference between corporate America and startup. Uh, startup world. I think that's one of the biggest benefits, actually, because you start appreciating the flexibility you have in startup world where you kind of get to take charge and be a leader and not go through so much scrutiny like X, Y, and Z person has to approve it and whatnot. But at the same time, you do appreciate corporate America where it's more structured and you know what you're going to be doing and you have a desired outcome and all this stuff. And so a little bit of both. I think it, it kind of gave me more perspective and it kind of grew me as an adult fast after college and to be able to experience both. Certainly. And I'm sure you recognize both the strengths and the inefficiencies that came with the traditional finance, uh, you know, um, ecosystem and were able to intelligently posture STM now in a way that works around those. Yeah, it helps a lot, especially on the operational side. Uh, <laughs> to be able to, now that we're growing and we grew from those four to 25 people, now it's like, yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. How do I take some of those structures from corporate America into this, you know, structure of a startup and to make sure we're efficient as possible on what we do so things don't fall through the cracks, I'll make sure all our, all our clients are serviced and whatnot, and we still grow as well. So they definitely... Can you elaborate more on your role of, you know, what, what yeah. does the head of growth and operations actually do? Yeah, it, it's two, uh, I guess it's two in one, if you will. The operational side is a lot more, a little more internal. Um, I kind of just make sure that we are structured in a way where we understand like, okay, for this process, let's say we're producing a show, right? What, what's go, what goes into that? We have audio engineering, we have the camera crew, we have editing, we have um, now we have, and that's our production team, right? And then we have to transfer it over to our communications team to make sure that we have the right copy for the social media. We schedule it. We have, you know, people doing this, this, and this. I mean, the clip parts of the show so that we can upload them to different, you know, on the reels and TikToks, if you will, so that, you know, those are a little separated and a little, yeah, a little separated of a format rather than the long tail or the longer format, right, on YouTube, right? So getting through that through communications and finally pump it out to the public, right? And that's just on the video production side. Then you have different operations where it gets a little more complicated when it comes to um, the advisory side. Now you have to talk about like, okay, we're gonna service X client, we have to do X, Y, and Z, communicate with this lawyer, but don't forget about that client that has to do this, right? And so <laughs> keeping it all in a CRR, um, if you will, like a project management system, if you will, 
uh, is kind of like what my job has been so far, really just making sure that we optimize all these processes. So again, like I said, nothing falls through the cracks. Now on the growth side, it's more about, you know, how do we get more people onto our website? How do we get them to stay longer? How do we get them? Because that obviously drives the value of our site on one end and prepares us for what's coming in a few months. Um, and then on the flip side, on the media side, and, then, and it's great for the data as well, right? And then for the media side, it's how do we get more views? How do we get more engagement on our socials? How do we get more presence known so that we are, remember, our goal is to drive this adoption. So how do we get more eyeballs on our stuff so people start learning about what's going on here? So that's kind of like the growth side aside. And then that, and then finding other partnerships with other industry players as well. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that breakdown. And you obviously are a very um, experienced and talented individual. Do you have any, any advice to our listeners who are trying to break into the crypto space, either just, you know, educational on, or and on their like personal side of things, but even someone trying to break in professionally? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I think it's people you'll you hear it left and right, but it, and networking is huge. I think networking is huge, but not just for obviously it's great for meeting people that are going to introduce you to new opportunities that may arise through meeting the right person and whatnot. But I think it also helps simply just to learn how to express yourself, how to be more confident and explain what you do, who you are, what your goals are. Because the more you talk about yourself, the more you experience learning about different people's cultures, different people's backgrounds, different pe people in, obviously interact in very different ways. You know, some people are a little more uh, more excited and whatnot, and other people a little more timid, right? And adopting to those different um those different cultures and those different, you know, speaking uh, mannerisms and whatnot kind of helps you really be an adaptable person, agile. And so when you go to do business, it's like, okay, now you, that you have experience adopting to these people and you're going to talk to a client, it doesn't matter what kind of client they are. You're being, you're able to talk to them or get through the conversation or create some kind of banter or whatever the case is. Right. But so I would say networking is huge. I think networking is huge simply because it's on a personal development, but also career growth, obviously you can meet, you know, potential opportunity there. Um, on the crypto side, I would say really just try to watch some YouTube videos. Obviously I'm going to a little bias and say, watch our content if it was secured to be specific, but crypto in general, obviously, you know, listen to, uh, candid crypto, right? You have guys, you guys are breaking down the, the, the basics in the first season. Right. And so this is fantastic, you know, stuff. And there's a lot of uh, content going out nowadays. So I would say educate yourself through these uh, different mediums, whether you're a visual learner or a more uh, audio learner or reader, there's content of all formats out there. Um, but yeah, those, those are the two, I would say. So speaking of networking, um, we glossed on this yeah. a bit prior to uh, recording this episode, but you and your team are based out of Miami. Do you feel that Miami is a good place to network and get in the know when it comes to the crypto scene? A hundred and ten percent, I think, and obviously I'm biased, but because <laughs> I live here, but you know, I think it's pretty much well known at this point that Miami is the crypto capital of the world, right? It's now at the point where you know the mayor has been very, very open to crypto. You know that famous "How can I help?" tweet, and now yeah. San Francisco, New York, everyone's flying and moving down to Miami, right? And and now it's more, uh, it's even more entrepreneurial than ever. People are starting businesses here. Big businesses are moving down here as well. Uh, when you go to events, you know, and I'm about to go to one after this, you go up, sh uh, show up, you start networking, start talking. People are very receptive. People are nice. They want to meet you. They want to help you. They want to see find find ways to collaborate. 
So I think Miami is a great city to do that, especially in crypto. We I, I don't know if you guys saw by the Bitcoin 2022 conference that just happened a couple of weeks ago. They unveiled oh, yeah. the crypto bull. And I'm like, finally, like we have our own bull and it's not just New York. <laughs> and it even has laser eyes. So I just I, I actually have the pleasure of passing by it every time I go to the gym every morning. So it's just so much fun. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we essentially have like something tangible that kind of just establishes Miami as like one of those crypto capitals. Fantastic. So Jason, if people want to keep up with you and or STM, what is the best way for them to uh, reach out, stay in the know and keep up with you and your team's content? 100%. I would say first and foremost, follow our Twitter. I think my uh, tech in general just really is very active on Twitter. Uh, and so, you know, my personal handle is at Jason underscore Barraza, B-A-R-R-A-Z-A. Um, STM is, um, uh, you know, at STO Market. So make sure to follow those. And it's the same for Instagram, actually. Um, and, and the other way is really to, you know, if you guys just want to watch our content, follow us on YouTube, Security Token Market. Uh, our YouTube channel has a variety, has all the shows on there. So you can kind of just filter by playlist um, but and, and different interviews with industry players too. So you'll see a variety of content on there. Right on. Well, Excellent. Jason, yeah. Wait, Jason. wait, Liam, I, I, I know we're wrapping up, but I would be very disappointed if we didn't get to ask Jason about his podcast that he has going on, <laughs> Crypto Con Leche. Oh, oh, I, I mean, Candy Crypto is all about accessibility and... I just find your podcast really amazing. Can you kind of talk about it a little bit and kind of what makes Thank it unique? Thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Critical Niche is another one of the shows that's hosted by Security Token Market. But essentially the story behind it is that you know, we're in Miami. We're 70% 70, 70 of the population speaks Spanish. Why do we not have a single you know thing going out in Spanish and educating the Spanish-speaking population? And not to mention, obviously, we're kind of like the the uh, I guess the touch point between the US and Latin America and it's like perfect. So we started Crypto Gun Legend, all new Spanish, only Spanish show that kind of educates on the first season being focused around the, the basics of crypto, the basics of um, NFTs and obviously ending with security tokens. And our second season is gonna be focused a little more on industry players, on interviews, um, touching up on those previous topics and going even more in depth. Now that they have the basics down, we can go and you know, touch on a little more profoundly. So yeah, it's all in Spanish and our really our goal is to be able to reach Latin America and anyone Spanish speaking in the US because I think for, because the mission of the blockchain and fractionalization and, and tokenization is to democratize these capital markets. Well, we can't really do that unless they understand what's going on. And so that's why we created it. We're happy to do it and it's very exciting. It's a fun time. Uh, Michael, I really, and Liam, I really appreciate you guys letting me plug it in. I think it's, you know, very helpful for everyone. I, I find it fantastic. Thank you. And I'll I'm going to learn Spanish through you. Exactly. Just turn on the subtitles, see what words <laughs> catch on, and eventually, it's like Duolingo. You'll catch on to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I was actually going to plug in one last one. I think this is probably my biggest recommendation for anyone that wants to learn what's going on in the space, but in a very fun way that's digestible. And it's my friend Jonah's, uh, he works at a company as well. It's called What's Drippin'. Uh, Jonah has this uh, What's Drippin' newsletter that essentially covers two topics per week every Monday. And he inserts memes in there. It's kind of like Morning Brew, actually. It's very lighthearted, very easy to read. He includes memes. He'll be like, joke around or whatever. It's very conversational. You really connect like, with Jonah. And so um, that's another one that I would highly recommend you subscribe to, if anything. It would probably be What's Drippin' for the most basic, most digestible, most fun way to absorb all this information. Wonderful.
Well, thank you so much, Jason, for your time. I mean, Thanks this has been me. an amazing interview. Love getting to meet you and learn more about security tokens. Uh, before we wrap up, just blanket disclaimer, none of this is financial advice. That's Correct. not what we do here. We are <laughs> purely educational, um, informative, you know, you know, facts on the crypto industry. But Jason, thanks for sharing so much wisdom. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks really so much. It. I appreciate you guys. And you guys are killing it with Candy Crypto. I'm happy to continue listening to you guys and whatnot. And hopefully we can reconnect soon and, and whatnot. But this is fantastic. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode and are excited for season two of Candid Crypto, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, as well as all your favorite podcasting platforms to stay updated with all our content. In addition, go to candidcrypto.cc to access the rest of our amazing content. 